Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 228 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined, as always, by my amazing co-host, Victor Rodriguez. And today, we are going to talk fighting. Pretty much the whole show is going to be about fights. But first, I do have a little tidbit that has been preying on my mind since yesterday. And it has to do with an interview that Dana White did with Robbie Fox from (laughs) Barstool Sports. And I am pretty sure that Dana White just stays zooted 90% of the time that we actually see him on video speaking. Because no sane person would have the opening of a new year like him and just go completely off the rails the way that he is and what I'm referring to is he had a point in this interview where he tells Robbie Fox that he is putting together and I quote a new documentary and I'm using those big old air quotes those those ones that are dripping in sarcasm and snark a documentary Just like the one he did last time, targeting MMA media. And I just could not help but point. I literally pointed at my screen and laughed like you fucking idiot. I mean to tell you, when Robbie was sitting there laughing, Robbie has the laugh of a young Mr. Burns who is over there lapping up the money that the UFC is throwing at Barstool, because that's basically what's going on there. There is a very cohesive relationship between the two of them. Now, I don't know if actual money is being thrown around, but what's being thrown around is access, and that equates to money for barstool you know when you have unfettered access to the ufc that basically no one else is getting i mean who is getting the interview time with dana white that is equating to the amount of time that barstool is getting with him no one no one so you've got him telling robbie fox that he's creating a new documentary that's going to target mma media again that they're going to name names because Robbie asked, are you going to name names? Are you going to put pictures up like death row? Like you did last time. And Dana said, Oh yes, I'm going to name names. I'm going to put pictures. I'm going to name outlets. I'm going to do this. They're all in the firing range, blah, blah, blah. And I just could not help but laugh and think that Robbie's over there just basically doing what they're accusing the Fox news anchors of doing. Well, they're not accusing. I mean, we've got leaked audio 
saying that the Fox News anchors would would laugh about Trump's crazy conspiracy theories and blah, blah, blah behind his back and this and that. And I can't help but think that Robbie Fox and um, what's his name? Stool president. I I can't remember. Dave Portnoy. Dave Portnoy. That Mm -hmm. piece of real work there. I can't help but think that they're there doing the same exact thing, pointing and laughing about Dana White behind his back because he mm. is off the rails. You just don't do this not two months after what you've uh, what you opened the year with. Now you're targeting the media. This is the guy that says, I will take whatever criticisms I have coming my way. Don't defend me. Blah, blah, blah. He has done a complete 180. It was all lip service. And this is what we're getting. It is insane. This is the guy that said, so what? Who gives a shit? If Connor uprooted guys that were already in the tough house to put his own guys in, who gives a shit? This guy is just on a roll of fails. And I cannot, I just, woo, Victor, what do you think? I disagree with one thing, and that is the whole, you know, Portnoy and and Robbie laughing. No, I think they buy in with wholeheartedly because they're not journalists. (laughs) They don't yeah. care. They've got their access. They're buddies with them. They're in the club. What the what what the fuck do they care? Oh, you're gonna go after the media? Said the man from the media. You know what I mean? The difference is the compliance of said media. The difference is the safety of that outlet, which is why he keeps going back to that same well. And like you said, my guy, you just slapped your wife on camera. And you're going to go after the media for criticizing your slap league, your little vanity project that's not doing as well in the ratings as you would expect it, number one. Number two, has had loads of people concerned from politicians on a local and regional level to medical experts from all over the spectrum. Okay, there's a lot of people, even people within the umbrella of Zufa have been critical of this or said, yeah, man, I don't know. That's not really a thing that I would go for. This whole thing has been incredibly sour. But again, if you are someone who has made their way from nothing to something by brute forcing your way through absolutely everything and you get to the top of a certain uh, certain arena, right, a certain a certain element of society like he has, you don't know anything else. This is exactly what you're going to do. Now, I don't know if he was under the influence or anything or not. I mean, it would make a lot more sense if he did. In fact, I hope he was because there's no other way to explain that that would make any sense and that would give me any hope of things getting any better. Because, But this this, this whole thing, like you're talking to, talking to fucking Robbie Barstool. I mean, this guy's not – what does he do? He's he's not even just an access merchant. He's He's – fortunate by the virtue of where he is Mm -hmm. that he can worm his way into this and smile and laugh and clap and dance for the people that he knows where his bread is buttered and it's one thing for you to say well look there's a lot of quid pro quo in media you know everybody has the understandings of uh you know well you know we're not going to pay a certain personality for an interview but we know we're giving them access and all that you know there's 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 moves and things that are done there are unspoken agreements and unwritten agreements regarding that sort of not this not this. You know exactly what this is. And to go out there and to say that you're going to do yet another thing. And as I said on Twitter, that's not a documentary. That was just a shoddily put together thing of, hey, look at what we did. We ta- we we made these people eat shit with their predictions. We proved them wrong. Well, how are you going to do that about this? And again, look at what you just did. Anyone with an ounce of dignity or fucking shame 
would say, hey, you know what, man? I think I'm going to lay low. Mm -hmm. I got all this money. Look, you don't want to quit your job. You don't want to leave. You don't want to face, you're not really facing any repercussions whatsoever. You still got your cush gig. You're still making money hand over fist, but no, you still got to go out there and be loud and wrong. And you got to keep racking up bells. I can't wait to see what the next rake is that he steps on because believe me, he's going to do it again. Guys, when they get to this point, they start losing focus. This is what it looks like. They end up doing goofy shit like this. You couldn't get Zufa boxing off the ground. You got your little slap thing. Let's see how that lasts. He said they're going to have a slap combine. They're going to have coaches and strength trainers and conditioning personnel to get the guys ready for, you know, strengthening necks. Are you out of your fucking mind? You think TBS is going to pick this up for season two like this? Maybe they would. Maybe they're locked in with contract. He's talking about it like season two is a foregone conclusion. But, I mean, even if it is, even if it does, no one's going to look at this with an even a shred of respectability, no matter how hard he tries to treat this like a real sport. And no one's going to take any documentary that he releases. Seriously, they're just going to look at it the same way they did the last one, like a tantrum that could potentially get them in all sorts of legal trouble. But I assume they're going to be more careful this time. But think about what happened with the first one. Didn't last too long online. That shit got taken down. Why is that? Is Ari Emanuel's dance card busy? Is he doing other shit? Is he not paying attention to what this guy's doing? You let this motherfucker sit around, play with matches, and now watch what's going on. You'll see. And that is why I said I'm convinced he's zooted all the time. Because of all these crazy moves that he's making that no sane person would make. We we know he likes to drink a lot. We already know that. I mean, uh, th there's a lot of alcohol that flows through those veins. But I just feel like Dana probably embraces the life that he feels grants him that party god because I feel like he wants to be the life of the party all the time. He's got to be the loudest, most boisterous, say the most outrageous things. He just seems like that guy that struggles, strives to be right in the middle of everything. That's probably why he's drawn to personalities that are much like that as exactly. well, right? Look at the guys that he loves mm -hmm. being around. It's it's exactly people like that. It's it's you know it's the Nelk boys, it's Conor McGregor, it's Thank Sean O'Malley. You. Until these people start asking for more money, obviously, but that's a different situation entirely. But speaking of Zooted, did you see uh, the the footage uh, during the the uh, Jake Paul fight? Did you see what was going on? Did you see who was watching that fight? I, you know what, I I skipped it. I didn't watch. There's well, no, no, no. You didn't have to see the fight. I'm not asking you to watch the fight. Oscar De La Hoya. Oh yes, I saw that. Was watching. Oh, my yes, goodness. he was watching the fight, and man, Woo! he got so excited. I swear to, God, I felt bad for the dude. I'm like, is he gonna is is he gonna have a stroke? Is he okay? I don't know, man. Dude didn't look like he was doing too Hollywood right there. And I don't know if he was under the influence of anything, but my man was sweated and agitated. And it just, you know, it it it's it just feels it, it's one thing to watch someone have fun and enjoy themselves and live vicariously through someone else's uh, achievements, especially when you're someone who grew up the way he did. Right. Just just molded in boxing and was such a passion for it. But it did look kind of sad, man. I don't know that that dude that somebody got to reach out to him. Somebody could put their hand on his shoulder. And that's, again, takes me back to Dana White, just watching the video of that interview where he's leaning into the camera and he's shouting, he's barking into the camera and his eyes are, you know, as wide as he could get those beady little motherfuckers open. And it just, he just looks like he's off the rails honestly and like you know maybe substance might have something to do with it this is just me spitballing but i'm convinced that he's zooted 
So you're that's... saying he's not he's not only off the rails, he did some rails. Exactly. Oh boy. <laughs> so, anyways, we are gonna talk a lot of fights today, but we're gonna bookend the fights. So I'm gonna start with the fights that we just watched on Saturday. And then Victor's got some fun stuff for in the middle. And then we're going to end by selecting some fights that we like from this coming weekend's card. Because we won't have time to break down the entire card on Thursday's show. So I just figure we were going to pick one or two fights that we really, really like from the undercard. Um, and just look at those. So let's take a look at this past Saturday night's card where we actually lost the main event. That's the second time in a three month span that we've lost a main event. And that is just wild to me. But Brendan Allen defeating Andre Mooney's, that was a pretty solid main event, a makeshift main event. I enjoyed the fight immensely. I was shocked to death that Brendan managed to to pull that out because it wasn't looking too good for him there for a minute. But uh, that was that was a solid fight. What did you think? I agree. And it was a fight that certainly defied my expectations. I mean, I didn't I don't know. I didn't walk into this one having the most, um, I guess, the highest hopes. Uh, it just it look, man, some of these we know and I've said this so many times I've been saying it for years. You have the sausage cards, right? This is how the sausage gets made, guys. This is how guys move up and down the ranks. It's not pretty. But, you know, you 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 understand the ebb and the flow of this whole thing, right? Like you understand that this is part of what the ecosystem sort of requires. Problem is, you know, sometimes it's like it's not even a lack of name value. It's just that, you know, stylistically, a lot of these fights aren't going to be great. Uh, Sakai versus Maze, for example, like, good God, I I don't know why that had to be, you know, some fights are better than others. Sometimes you get surprised by some, uh, breakout moments and some, uh, some head turners, some fighters fighting against type and people just, you know, going out there and, and going bonkers. So, um, that is, that is to be expected. And, you know, the cancellation of a main event, we got more than an acceptable fight to round things out and actually i thought was um it was actually kind of a blessing in a way that so many of these fights fell apart because you imagine having to sit through another potentially hour and a half two hours because it was three fights right three fight cancellations yes yes so you had the main event five by five and then you had the other two 15 minute bouts and then with all the padding fuck man i mean that would have been horrendous i wouldn't have wanted to sat through all that so yeah i i mean it was what it was but the main event kind of salvaged things to a degree right now you have a memorable thing you have a contender moving up in the ranks uh a bit of an upset uh, an interesting upset and perhaps someone announcing themselves in the middleweight division yet again as a much more legitimate threat than when he came in and uh i i want to see what happens here with with both of them you know Munoz. hopefully he doesn't fall too far back i mean they're both very talented dudes i'm very fond of both of them yeah, I don't think Muniz lost much in in that loss. You know what I mean? I, I feel like Brendan Allen um, is going to end up being a loss on his record that won't look so bad. It won't be such a terrible mark for him. Now we get to Augusto Sakai, and he defeated Dante Mize, and um, that was a fight that I, I can't even say that was a fight that happened. That was a fight that should have never happened. God damn, that was awful. The I mean, the both of them to me are regional level at best. Uh, this this was no just, wait wait yeah, wait wait. Yeah. I thought I thought 
Dana White told me <laughs> that the best fight the best in the UFC. Ugh. I heard from Lorenzo Fertitta himself. He would never lead me astray. No, no, ma'am. Um, didn't. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, I just. <laughs> I. I. I cannot help myself because he harps on the heavyweight division, and it never fails that we get these crap heavyweight fights just forced upon us in the main cards. And it just drives me nuts. And this is a perfect example because you could have had Ode Osborne versus Charles Johnson. Oh there. my God. Or you could yes. have had Jasmine Jasudovicius defeating Gabriela Fernandez on there. Or Joe Selecki, Carl Deaton, Jordan Leavitt. I mean, any of these fights could have been ser much more serviceable on the main card. And the thing is, is they're super stubborn because on an average heavyweight fights of this caliber that are forced onto the main card almost never deliver. Uh, I mean, you know, I remember years ago, I mean, years ago when the live threads were going on, you'd see every time you'd see it in the comments during a Bellator event, Bellator heavyweights, LOL. Yeah. And yet now, imagine now, imagine going back to 2014 and telling that comment section, guys, wait till you see what's going to happen eight years from now, nine years from now. You're going to lose your fucking minds. Mm -hmm. You're going to want to melt into your seat and just remain a puddle of goo for the rest of time. And uh, this is one of those bouts where just like, who does this serve? Who does this help? Is this is either one of these guys going to be closer to title contention or even just divisional relevance with that with a win there? I don't really know, man. I mean, Sakai, even with that win, does he secure his spot in the future? Probably not. They might not re-sign him whenever his contract runs out with performances like this. And I don't mean to keep shitting on these dudes, but like, again, fat heavyweights, man. What are we doing? What are we doing? I don't understand how you keep doing this for this long. I mean, if it affects them, don't tell me that it's not indicative of something that that. Uh, that that has to do that'll affect their ability to perform in the cage when you see these dudes gassing out as badly as they're doing. Yeah, I I mentioned this on Care Don't Care, but I I could not help myself. The when you get fights like this, they're instantly memed. And somebody posted a picture, and it was I can't I I think that it was beavers, but it could have been otters. I don't know. It was two critters that looked like beavers or otters, and one was passed out on the other. And, you know, they were laid like crisscross and I, it was, and it, they had on their Sakai versus, um, Mize and I just, oh my God, it, I looked at it and it was like the perfect explanation. If I were to show a picture to someone to sum up that fight, that was the perfect one. It really was. I mean, and Sakai saying that he, he, he feels safe now. You know, I, you know, I can breathe easy, I believe was his comment. Sir, you better not be breathing easy. You better grab that paper bag and hyperventilate into it because I don't know if that performance is saving your ass. Four Lost Street, and that was what you broke it with? That's not the slump buster you're thinking it is. Mm, now, yeah, we get to Tatiana Suarez. Here's our breath of fresh air. Coming yeah. off three plus years knee problems neck problems i mean to tell you this mm, her neck her back <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh wait we're recording still oh shit i'm sorry oh goodness gracious <laughs> whoop 
<laughs> so, anywho, she had a great performance against Montana De La Rosa, but that first round was purely an adjustment round because if you happen to catch her post-fight interview, the first thing she says is she's going back to straw weight. And I agree because she looked kind of small in there. And De La Rosa is a good grappler. Okay. Uh, she was well outmatched against Tatiana, but the thing is, is this was a good comeback fight for, for Tatiana and she performed as expected. This is what you would expect from a high level contender like her. Well, I don't know if we got around to talking too much about the logistics of this fight and how it got put together, but I mean, it was really, uh, personally, I think it was perfect matchmaking, right? Yes. I mean, Montana, where do you stand? Do you still have it? And let's see how you do with your wrestling against another masterful wrestler. And then for uh, for for Suarez, you know, let's see what you look like coming back. You know, it's not the softest touch, but it's not the worst thing you can do right. because you're not putting her in there against a striker. So you do still have that challenge, right? Because you still have somebody who's super crafty and has a lot of mad ability. And um, I, it worked out great. It's not the worst loss for Montana. I don't know where she stands now in the division, but um, I hope she sticks around. I hope she keeps, uh, you know getting some some opportunities to to perform from here on in but Suarez was really the story of this fight and uh it, it's good to see her not just back in the win column but hopefully putting a lot of if not all of her previous health concerns in the uh background so I'm, I'm happy to see that man good for her all right uh Mike Malott boy this mm. dude man and and this was this was good matchmaking right here the, the a lot of the fights on this card were were clear setups you know yeah. it's a clear showcase matchmaking but this one wasn't mike malott um went in 8 and 1 johan Linus went in 9 and 1 Mm -hmm. They were very, very evenly matched. Both have talent and just, wow, Mike Malott. Hello, sir. Mike Malott's been on my radar. You want to hear some real MMA hipster shit? Sure. Since about 2014. Wow. When he started with World Series of Fighting and I started doing vivisections with Zane. That's when. And it was funny. I noted that the day after I'd forgotten completely. There's a fight where Mike Malott had fought Hakeem Dewadu. In World Series of Fighting. I want to say it was maybe 2016. No, 2015 maybe. Yeah, it was something around there. And it was really interesting to me. Like, damn, it took these guys so long to get to the UFC. And now they're both there. And not only that, they're doing pretty well. Malad improving still. Dewadu shaking out some of the stuff, but still putting on some impressive performances with his technique. And seeing Malad come as long as, as far as he has. And to do what he did against another impressive guy. Because Lanes is not a slouch. Uh, that was that was really nice, man. It was good to see. I was happy to see that. All right. Then we get Trevor Peak, another guy, totally mm. announced himself. But we we kind of expected this performance from him. And this is one of those fights that I was just mentioning that it, there was a clear setup here to to showcase Trevor Peak. Um, and he delivered as he should against a seasoned vet in Eric Gonzalez. Now, Eric Gonzalez came in with a 14 and 7 record. Trevor Peak came in with a 7 and 0 record. Uh, but Trevor Peak is special. There's no two ways about it. 
Yeah, see, that's the thing, dude. He didn't just do that to some scrub. I mean, right. this dude, you know, I've seen Eric fight before. Dude is he's he's crafty. He's good, but he got crowded. He got stung, and he got hurt. That's gonna happen, and that was the end of it. That was pretty much the story there. And uh, Trevor Peak looking like a savage while he did it. Didn't seem like there was too much technique going on there, but you're not going to really hold that against him, are you? Come on, man. Look at what he gave you. Gold. Yeah, yeah. Um, hopefully we get get some polish on that very rough diamond, but still, it, it's clear he's he's got talent. All right. And then we get to Jasmine Jasudovicius getting the win over Gabriela Fernandez, a unanimous decision, very hard fought, entertaining fight. I liked it. You know, I really hope that Jasmine doesn't turn out to be some kind of butthead or something later, man. Like, she's got such a great personality. She can right. fight her ass off. I want her to do well. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I don't want her to come out tomorrow like some real hateful shit. <laughs> you know yeah, I, mean? I like, hear you. What do we really think of the brain pan of the Surinamese? Like, no, God damn it, stop. Like, I, I, I don't, I really, really hope that, that we don't have anything like that because it's only going to ruin her potential and star power. And, um... Uh, yeah, she is. She is a force to deal with. Her stand up still does need some polish yes. and some help, but it's not something that she's not working on. You can tell that it's uh, something that she's been addressing and something that she's been improving on either way. So um, I'm I'm good with this, too, man. It's again, development, growth. This is where things start. This is what the, this is the kind of card you want to put her on to not necessarily slow roll her too much. But to have sure that give her some breathing room for development before she starts taking on other people in the division that are much more established. Yeah. I still love her to death though. Her videos crack me up. She has she has such a good sense of humor. I, I agree with you. Please, please, please just stay fresh. Don't mm. don't don't spoil anything. <laughs> yeah, don't don't post Jordan Peterson videos and all that uh, shit. Exactly. My or goodness. Sandy Hook conspiracies or none of that. Come on. Right. All right, we get to, this was my favorite fight on the card. Jordan, leave it, getting the knockout over, I'm sorry, another victor. Uh, you know, I'm making the sign of the cross here. Uh, man, you know, <laughs> victor Martinez, um, he was 13-4 and four going into this, and Jordan was 10-2. Uh, and, and, man, I loved it. You know, he went in there, and he got the knockout, just, you know, two and a half minutes in. And what I loved even more was that he wore his, I believe it was his granddad's leisure suit to the post-fight press conference. Mm. And I just thought that was so cool. I mean, he strutted his stuff up on that stage with his big platform shoes. Oh, that's what that was. Okay. Yes, yes. Yeah, I was wondering, I'm like, what, what, did he, did he talk to John Nash and steal something from the Black Dynamite wardrobe selection? (laughs) Like, what happened here? Like, no, it's, it's, this is actually kind of cool. I, yeah, you know, listen, Victor Martinez, there's no shame in that, man. I mean, the, the Victor's Club, the Guild, we will accept him with open arms and we just had a victor rodriguez get released from the ufc and you know we we got him back in the wednesday meeting so you know that's that's good uh not to be confused <laughs> with the latino people meetings in general that's on thursdays and uh this week i am in fact bringing the punch so uh jordan man he came in uh, he a lot of flash a lot of fun a lot of uh you know a lot of antics and boy howdy he just put on another exclamation point and 
no one's going to remember that he lost a pimplet like that until maybe they cross paths at some point in the future or if they're within striking distance of each other. This is great. This is exactly the kind of thing you want to have happen to get that taste out of your mouth. And you know what? He is he is a fun dude. He has, yeah. Remember when Bruce Leroy first came to the UFC? Oh, and yeah. He had that vibe, that fun, youthful vibe. I feel like that about Jordan Leavitt. And I feel like his talent is actually um, on the same trajectory as as Bruce Leroy. Because you know what? Bruce Leroy has blossomed. He has a complete, very complete veteran now. I, I like watching him fight. I feel like he's learned along the way. And yeah. I feel like Jordan Leavitt might be that sa- have that same trajectory only faster because it took it, it took Bruce Lee Royal a while to get there. Yeah, you know, well, Alex you know, everybody's... Is, uh, you know, he, he spent a long time there in the middle being that guy that was hit or miss, the gicked. You know, yeah. guy I can't trust, but I, I feel like he's shedding that mold and I, I'm, I'm comfortable picking him in most fights. Um, I feel like Jordan Leavitt uh, might get there faster and I would not poo poo a, a rematch with Patty. I would like to see that um, at mm-hmm. some point. And if he keeps being this, this flashy guy in the, in the lead up and, and in the post fight, maybe we get some kind of buzz around him where that he can request that fight and make it happen well you know look guys develop at different rates and i think you may be onto something here with with jordan right. uh simply have i mean he, his, his skill set his background different too they're coming in in different eras different environments but but i do see what you mean as far as potential and growth and limitation and uh i i do agree that the jordan could certainly uh, gain greater development, uh, cover more ground a little faster, in fact, a lot faster, and actually make a very serious run uh, to at least get to the t- at least at least the 15. Yes. At least in yes. that division. I, I don't see why not. I, I just, uh, he keeps going the way he's going. He keeps his head down and he works his ass off, man. The rest of it should come because he's, uh, he's not coasting on his talent. You can tell he's working on it. Yeah, and I feel like the the top fifteen isn't an unachievable goal at lightweight. You know, it's tough, but it's not unattainable. Not for a guy like him. I, I feel like featherweight and and bantamweight—that's murderer's row. The entire top fifteen in both of those divisions. The power shift has definitely leaned to the lighter divisions over the past. Um, five, six years, maybe a little long. Yeah. I'd say about past five, six years, man, bantamweight and featherweight have just like through the stratosphere. I love it. Now Bjorn Rebney was onto something, wasn't he? Yes, he was Mexico. (laughs) Now here we're getting into a small guy's fight. Uh, This one was at a catch weight, but it should have been at flyweight. O'Day Osborne, Charles Johnson. I picked Charles Johnson. You and Mookie picked O'Day Osborne. I watched this fight and while I was not, I did not have a problem with the decision. It was very, very close. I thought um, O'Day clearly won the first round. I thought Charles Johnson very, very clearly won the second round. I thought the third round was a tight run, but I I personally thought Charles Johnson edged it out. And you know me, I always tell the truth about whether it's to my benefit or not. But I thought Charles Johnson edged it out. But again, it was so close. I didn't have a problem with people that saw it the other way at all. I can't even say that, you know, that decision was bunk or whatever. I just personally thought that Charles edged it just the 
bare minimum, just barely edged it. But I saw it that way. I was starting to think that. I was starting to think that I'm like, shit, did he just pull it out? Like he might have, because he looked like he had a little bit more control. I mean, if you mm-hmm. look, take the, but then, you know, you look at the strike count and all that, even though that doesn't tell the whole story. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, like, all right, I, I had Ode winning. And then it's like, even though you pick the guy and you have that bit of a bias of like, no, I'm pretty sure he's going to do it. And then it turns out that he, you know, just, he just fights a guy who's that damn good and who's hard to look good against. You know, you start having a little doubts. You yeah. start quaking. You go, mm, shit, <laughs> this might be, you know, maybe this dude really did do enough. Maybe Ode actually lost it. And I mean, I could see the case for the fight going either way, but it was super tough to tell because of yeah. how close it was. Exactly. And so I don't have a problem with this at all. I thought both guys looked good. Speaking of another really good dude, Joe Selecki. Now, here is a guy, Carl Deaton. I, I, he was never going to win this fight. Okay, this this was a, a, a showcase to Joe Selecki. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. Owned him. I mean, every single blast double he went for, he was nailing it. I mean, he took this guy down at will. It was a foregone conclusion that he was going to get submitted. I feel like Joe Selecki was in there playing with his food. Really. I mean, I don't know that I'd go that far. I felt like he did uh, have some fits in, in finalizing, but keeping that back control was impressive either way. And, you know, getting back to that when he was sort of losing that spot. Um, hey, man, no shame losing to Joe Selecki, man. A submission guy got you in a submission. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. That's when you're that good at what you do, you know, sometimes it's just what it is. And, and you can't really be mad at losing to a guy like that. I assume uh, this was Denton's debut, was it not? Yeah. He was brought in for this fight. Yeah, I hope they give him a thank you fight, you know, or at least to give him an opportunity to uh, hang around and make a little extra money and, and you know, maybe hopefully get a, uh, a different kind of opponent later on that he could perhaps uh, have a more competitive fight against. And, and that's fine. All right. Now we get to Rafael Alves losing to Narulo Aliyev, who came in. Um, he was eight and zero, and Rafael Alves was twenty and eleven. Now Narulo came in with a lot of hype, a lot of buzz behind him, and they gave him a a, a seasoned veteran with you know kind of a journeyman's record. Doesn't matter. Um, even though this went to a, a majority decision, I feel like uh, uh, this is a, an, a good, appropriate win for Aliyev. He fought a tough dude that's been around for a long, long time with a good grappling game, and, and he got the win. Um, I'm not disappointed in that. I would match him carefully going forward. I, I wouldn't just immediately start moving him up onto the main card by any means, but I, I feel like he got an appropriate win here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. There's no there's no metric by which you can say that this was a close fight in that respect. And, I mean, I feel kind of bad for Alves. I'm like, ooh, this, I don't know, he's ready for this. And then the fight starts, I'm like, yeah, he was not ready, man. He just kept going for guillotines. And uh, we've seen that happen so many times before. It was just, uh, God, yeah, that it was, it was a bit of a slog to watch, really. All right, so... What you got for us, because we have wrapped up that card. And as promised, we do have some some juicy stuff in the middle here before we look at a couple of fights from UFC 285. So, Well, we are going to start off with an 
absolute exponent of violence. John Lineker, yes, indeed, folks, a fan favorite, a true... Uh, a truly intimidating individual. Nobody really uh, is super thrilled to have to fight this guy, but well, he had a fight this past weekend for one championship. And uh, during that fight, he did uh, end up losing that bout as his opponent managed to score a TKO win. And it was due to his corner throwing in the towel. It turns out he was just taking way too much damage. His team was not happy with what they were seeing and how things were going. So they decided that this was a, a good point for the fight to end. Now, Alex Davis decided to uh, go on Twitter and explain that this was not um, anything other than a matter of protecting Lineker's future health. And he had this to say on Twitter, quote, some criticism about having stopped Lineker versus Andrade. It was, in, it was a hard... It was a hard to do, says him, especially it being a title fight. Both John's eyes were closed. I had to take that decision. Safety comes first. Congrats to both men and to Fabricio for winning the title. Oh, he had to throw that in there, didn't he? Mm -hmm. I thought it was kind of cute. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Yeah, man, look. It is what it is. I respect the fact that Alex Davis, yet again, has shown a willingness to protect his fighters and to doggedly defend them. And to try to, at the very least, at the very least, have some form of dignity, some kind of preservation. And, you know, look, we've mentioned this before, right? We've asked ourselves before, why don't we see more of this? Why don't we see more corner stoppages? Like, you know, we've seen Trevor Whitman do that here. I'm not letting you go back out there. You might not have to throw the towel in the middle of the fight. Obviously, referees have a problem with that. They don't like it because of the safety concerns. And, you know, and it makes sense, right? You don't know if it was somebody from the crowd that threw that in there, right? So you, you can't really uh, use that as something that's valid when all these things are happening inside in that moment. But this, this was fine. I, it shows to me that there is a great deal of care and concern and, dare I say it, genuine love. You really care about your guy. You really want to see them do well. You really want to make sure that they can live to fight another day and that really there's no other avenue for them to uh, recover based on what you're seeing in there. Then you might as well just pull the plug. And I feel terrible for Lineker for losing the fight the way that he did. But hey, listen, sometimes your body just gives up. Sometimes you give what you can give and it's not enough and that's fine. That's the fight game, and that's just what it is, and I'm okay with it. So, Steffi, what do you think of the decision? And most importantly, what do you think about the way that Alex has handled that? I think the decision to throw in the towel is the right one. That was that was a dogfight. It was the right decision for sure. And I think the way Alex handled it was perfect. Uh, Alex seems like a, a guy that represents his fighters well. And everything that he's saying in the media, specifically about this one, especially about this one, is, you know, on the money. He's he's saying the right things. It's all about the fighter's safety. And he didn't make any excuses about why John might have been losing that fight, anything like that. He just went nope. out there and said, this is how it is. And they, they made the right choice. Anybody that has any shit to say about this, you know, you need to zip your lip. I mean, what are you going to do about it anyway, right? Exactly. If you have any criticism of this, like, what, it's already done, dude. Exactly. The, the, the The results have been recorded and they're official. Now what? Come on. Like, you really think that he should have kept going after that? Please, dude, come on. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, we are going to follow that up with something that's not quite so fun. But, well, okay. 
not quite so heartwarming. Maybe that's what I'm looking for, all right? But it is a fun bit of healthy speculation, and I understand it's going to be a bit of a stretch for some people listening, but... Um, Okay, so it turns out <laughs> this was brought to my attention by one Stephanie Eunice Haynes, who was kind Eunice. enough to let me know about this. And I, I didn't I didn't even know this. This didn't even come up on my radar until she mentioned this earlier. But here's a rumor from uh, Twitter user MyMMANews, who has occasionally dropped a few things here and there that have been, um, you know, at some point have borne some level of, uh, uh, of fruit. Quote, hearing that the big news BKFC will drop on Helwani is that Luke Rockhold has signed and will fight Mike Perry. Not sure this has the shockwave value they're hoping for, but of course, I would watch. Now listen, what have I told you kids about bare knuckle? Huh? They're not about attracting a boxing audience. They're about attracting degenerate MMA fans. And guess what? A lot of MMA fans will part with their hard-earned money or ill-gotten gains in order to watch their product, especially if you're continuing to use old, used, washed-up, and broken MMA fighters. And who do we have this time? Luke Rockhold. Now, is he wasted, washed, and uh, incapable of putting on a good fight? No, I don't necessarily think so. Is he capable of hanging with the elite of the divisions that he'd participate in, whether it be uh, middleweight or light heavyweight? I don't think he's capable of that. But you go to his Instagram, and there he is training with Jason Perillo with no gloves. He's got wrapped up hands, but no gloves. Hmm, interesting. Then you go back a little further, and he's got a little thing. He's doing a drill with a resistance band where he's just throwing straight punches you know, it's just straight resistance training with, uh, you know, around the ring post, doing that kind of thing for, for improving your punches. Now, granted, here's a guy that has been training in the striking arts for a very, very long time. This is not alien to someone that trains in boxing in a modern, you know, context. However, this is from February 13th, so just, what, two weeks ago, let's say. Mm, I don't know, man. What if this is true? Now, we're going to treat this, we're going to run with this slightly. I don't know if this is real or not. I don't know if this is actually happening. If it does turn out to be the case, what do you make of this, Steffi? From the perspective of Bare Knuckle, is this the right kind of move to get you the attention that you're looking to get? And from Luke's perspective, you sure you want to do this? I need you to say one thing that you skipped, and that is, what is the caption on the uh oh the video the most current one There's yeah the one with the the one with, with the it. hitting the pads with perillo says uh or not the other one says hand training exactly and specifically what, hand like why are you highlighting that and what are on his hands just hand wraps that's all right just, i mean yeah you why want, do you, you train mobility. your hands why did what do i specifically what are you training your hands for I bet you're training your hands for maybe some bare knuckle. I'm going to run with the speculation because Luke's been dying to dip his toe back in. And I feel like maybe talks weren't so fruitful with Scott Coker. Maybe Scott Coker doesn't have the kind of money to throw around right now. Say if maybe they're courting a Francis Ngannou. I'm thinking that bare knuckle... They do have a rumored uh, war chest to pull out big name guys. And I think a Luke Rockhold, Mike Perry fight 
would absolutely do some traffic for them because Luke Rockhold is fresh. He is a name. He's a former champion in, in a couple of different promotions. He's just freshly out of the UFC within the past year. He's still making making waves everywhere. Every time he does an interview, he's just posting videos on his personal Instagram, not really saying anything. And he's got all he's got people speculating already. I'm thinking that it would do traffic for a bare knuckle FC. Might not do traffic for a Bellator, but for a bare knuckle FC, yes, sir. I think it does some traffic for them. Mm. I think it's a smart signing. If they dipped into their big old war chest to pull out a Luke Rockhold, I think that's a very smart signing, especially when they made a big blunder with Paige Van Sant because Paige Van Sant has determined that she doesn't want her lovely face messed up because that face, her, you know, a very mm. attractive self makes more money doing softer things. But Luke mm. Rockhold doesn't have that luxury because he's beaten up his face so much that his very limited window with Ralph Lauren is probably closed. So fighting is what's there. Well, Ralph Lauren got to call me. Put my beautiful ass in there. I'm amazing. Put me in there. <laughs> hey, I, I I do have to disagree with one thing here, and I, I don't I don't think that the Bellator thing is a matter of money necessarily in terms of you know whether or not they can afford him. I think it's got to do more with whether or not they can slot him adequately. Like again, when when he announced that he was um, itching to get back in, or you know he wasn't completely done, where do you put him? Against who? To do what? Right. I, I don't... And he commands a salary and they are there is a limit over there because people seem to think that because they are a Viacom back company that there is throwaway money there. There is a yeah. budget and it is small. Mm. They have a war chest, but that war chest is for who they deem puts eyes and ears and I'm not saying that Scott Coker is always on the money with that either. I mean, yeah, everybody, yeah, you nobody bats a thousand. Right. That's true. But I mean, I will say this: I think that Luke Rockhold commands a salary that they might think is a not a, of a value to them when they could possibly lure the best guy on the planet that is still walking around champion. Right this moment, I mean, that I, it, it's an invisible belt for sure. But right this moment, there is no heavyweight champion but Francis Ngannou. John Jones and Cyril Gan haven't won shit. Francis <laughs> Ngannou left champion in my eyes. So bearing that in mind, I mean, that's the guy that you want to spend all your money on, really. Wherever Francis land, he is going to put asses and seats for at least the first two events you could build a pay-per-view around francis Ngannou and have it work that would be their first really success it would be their first successful one not really successful one that would be their first successful pay-per-view it would and yeah. now i believe that would only be their second maybe third i think they've only had third that would be their third right. they only had two yeah and they and both of them were not successes but this one would be. So I feel like 
that money is better spent on a Francis Ngannou. And I feel like they might be holding out for that. And so Luke is definitely testing the waters out there. And maybe Bare Knuckle has the kind of money that he's looking for and are willing to invest in that kind of name because he would do well for a Bare Knuckle. Absolutely. Yeah. Or they could have also offered him a short-term enough deal mm -hmm. with a fair compensation. Exactly, and that's, that's you know, yeah. So he can you know go off and you know maybe this goes well or it doesn't. Either way, right. he can go off and do other things. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I can see that. Even if it, even if he loses, bare knuckle would pay him again because yeah. people would want to see it one more time. Because that's the you said it perfectly. The kind of degenerates that would watch, yes. This is exactly what degenerates would watch. They would want to see it one more time <laughs> because they want to see it. Well, maybe, you know, he's just getting a feel for things in bare knuckle. Let's give him another shot. That is, that is it right there. Yeah, I should know because I'm the one watching the shit. So, yeah, it's unfortunate, but I'm going to go ahead and um, if it, if we were to rate this rumor, on a scale of, you know, but we're going to call it 100%, go zero to 100%. I would say 75%. I'm leaning 75% that it's true. Where is your percentage lie? Hmm. I'd probably put it in 85. I think it's more, oh, I think wow. it's closer right. to reality. I think All it's closer right. to reality than, than that. And and I just, um, I look, doesn't mean I like it, but yeah. All right. I thought I was going to be, um, I wasn't, I thought I was being less moderate than you, but all right, this is awesome. Okay. Cause I'm definitely leaning towards the, yeah, he's going to do it. I, I didn't expect for me to be the one leaning less. That's cool. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we are going to pick a couple fights, one from me and one from Victor, from the UFC 285, we are specifically targeting the undercard. So whichever two fights we choose, one from me and one from Victor, these will not be reviewed on Thursday. So, Victor, you have your choice first. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this card now as far as the undercard is concerned. Um, I mean, you got some good ones here, man. I... Uh... I was I was a little I was leaning towards um it pointing people towards uh Loic Rajabov versus Esteban Ribovics, but I don't really know too much about Ribovics and I don't really see much about his record that indicates that, you know, he'd be um the kind of opponent that Loic should be fighting. I'm a little happy for Loic because he was supposed to be on the ultimate fighter. He's one of the fighters who got bumped. And instead he ended up in the UFC outright. So Good. <laughs> I'm glad that that's the case. Uh, but he's not the guy. One of the Basharad boys is in here. Farid is taking on Damon Blackshear. Again, Blackshear, good opponent, but not quite the sizzle for, you know, this is, again, Showcase. more stacked in Basharad's favor. Showcase yeah. fight. I am actually going to go with Jessica Penne versus Tabitha Ricci. I've had a soft spot for Jessica since the Invicta days. And Tabitha, stellar jiu-jitsu I want to see what happens when these two tangle because Penne is a really good grappler too. Yes. Um, yes, she is. You know, you can have your black belt and your world titles and all that, but when it comes to MMA and you introduce punchy face and you adapt things to a, a different atmosphere, I want to know how well she can handle that. And uh, I'm curious to see that. It's a bit of a, 
it's a bit of a rough step in for for Tabitha to make her way and and fight Penny this early coming into the well, not really. I mean, this is this would be her fourth UFC fight, but yeah, interesting. I I don't know. I just feel like that's one of the fights that has the most intrigue for me. For me, it's it's gonna be uh, Song Kanon versus Ian Gary, Ian Machado mm. Gary. I know that um, Song Kanon is not the super toughest guy, but I think he's enough of a challenge for Ian Gary to maybe get a little more respect on his name because I feel like people are still with a big question mark because he, he does have some moments in there where I don't want to say he has a complete fight IQ dive, but he sometimes is willing to to brawl a bit too much, you know? But, yeah. But you get Song Kanon, who um, he, he can beat the, the Derek Krances and the Callan Potters, but he can't beat the Alex Moronos. He can't beat the Brad Riddells, and he can't beat the Max Griffin, you know? Yeah, I mean, again, it could be it, that could be an, a matter of development and growth too. I don't know if that's, I don't know if he's gonna get there. I, I I'm not sure. And and the song has that problem. I'm glad you, you I mean, you really nailed that part. Uh, he is very much a guy who gets ahead of himself. Like what, um, like what Zane says, he's not dumb. It's just his body gets ahead of his brain and he starts doing stuff. And you're like, oh, buddy, wait, no, you you got to slow down. You're like that's that's where you start getting into trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking that Ian Gary uh, is is going to be a bit much for Song Kanan, but that, that's a good test for him because it's, Song's not a scrub by any means. No, but, not at all, but no. he's he's a solid test to keep this forward trajectory and 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 keep that that zero intact. You know, he just fought Gabe Green. He fought Darian Weeks before that. He fought Jordan Williams before that. Uh, Song Kanan seems like good pro- uh, good progression, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, especially I, I after agree. a Gabe Green, you know, or a Darian Weeks. Song Kanan is good progression. Yeah, I would agree. All right, so I and I do predict that he'll he'll keep his zero intact. Would you agree? I don't know about that. Really? It's dicey. <gasps> oh, really? It's dicey. He I gotta might, hear your I, he might, here, he might but I don't know. I'm, All not, right, you I'm gotta, not that confident. You gotta make a pick because remember, we're not picking these. Mm. So you have to make a pick. I think Song might. I got a hunch. I got a real strong hunch that Song might take it on some goofy shit. I don't know. What? Are you doing that underdog thing again? I don't know. Maybe. I can't control this shit. Did you just throw your dart? Maybe. No, you gotta say. You gotta say. Fine, sure. Why not? Reckless underdog pick. Let's go. Oh my goodness. Well, I am picking Ian Gary. By the time Thursday rolls around, I will have Mookie's picks on these two. So that is gonna wrap us up. Do me a favor. Follow this guy on Twitter. He's awesome. He's funny. And you know what? He also has some serious stuff that uh, is impactful and smart and, and intelligent takes on them. He's worth following if for nothing else but that. A lot of dick jokes. Be ready. <laughs> yeah, yes. complaining and shit later to Steffi. I'll tell you straight up. I'll put my business on Front Street. A lot of it. <laughs> he is at 
Vic M. Rodriguez. You can also find him on Instagram. He's got a wonderful Instagram filled with a lot of good booty pics. He is Victor Sinister Rodriguez over there. And tell him about that OnlyFans, sir. You know what? I thought when you said foodie pics, I thought you said booty pics. I'm like, no, no, that's for the OnlyFans. That's not, that's not, that's not this. <laughs> it's still a work in progress, man. I've been lazy. I ain't been doing much. Tiger Driver 91. I'm out there. Throw me some money. Every time he says Tiger Driver, I immediately think Charlie Sheen's Tiger Blood. Oh, stop. Come on. You're disrespecting the ghost of Misawa right now. I, I'm very disappointed in you with this. I can't help it. All right. Follow Mookie on Twitter at Mookie Alexander and definitely look him up over on SB Nation's Field Goals website. Victor and I work for Bloody Elbow. You can find our work over there. And if you listen to the pre-recorded outro, you can find out where you can listen to this show and all the other great Bloody Elbow shows. So until next time, y'all stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, The Hey Not The Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com. <laughs>